It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. On the second day of its term, the Supreme Court heard a case that has the potential to change the American political landscape. The justices considered whether judges can throw out legislative maps for being so partisan they violate the Constitution. The case could put a new check on gerrymandering or drawing election districts for political advantage. It would be a first if the court rules that voting maps can be so one-sided they violate the Constitution. In oral arguments today, the conservative and liberal justices appear appear divided on the issue with Justice Anthony Kennedy in the middle as the swing vote. Joining me are elections law experts Michael Lee, senior counsel at the Brennan Center, and Richard Brafault, professor at Columbia Law School. Rich, last year, a divided three-judge federal court panel ruled that Republicans in Wisconsin had gone too far in drawing maps. That was the first time that a federal court in more than 30 years rejected a voting map as partisan gerrymandering. Tell us a little bit about the case before we discuss the Supreme Court arguments. Sure. Uh, the case deals with the map that the Republicans in that, that state of Wisconsin, which at that point had a Republican governor and lopsided majorities in both houses of the state legislature, Republican majorities, drew for the state legislature going forward. I think the challenge is particularly to, this, um, to the maps in the state Senate and the state assembly. Uh, the uh, plaintiffs uh, were, argued that the entire state map was, was unconstitutional. Not They didn't challenge specific districts. They challenged the map as a whole uh, in elections in which the Democrats got actually slightly more votes than the Republicans, I think, in 2012. They won like 49 percent of the vote. The Republicans slightly less. The Republicans won 60 out of 99 seats. And the 2014 election, the Republicans got 52 percent of the two-party vote and won 63 out of, out of 99 seats. So they got lopsided majorities, even when they, Republicans did, even when they had less than a majority or just slightly more than a majority. Uh, the, the Democratic claim was that some combination of discriminatory intent, the plan was uh, written entirely by Republicans uh, with an effort to maximize Republican advantage, and uh, this, this enormous skew in favor of Republicans added up to an unconstitutional gerrymander. All right, Michael, you were at the Supreme Court arguments today. Tell us your impressions. Well, I think it was overall a, a, a really uh, strong argument on behalf of the Wisconsin plaintiffs. Um, the court uh, was very engaged, and they asked a lot of questions, and they were um, clearly, clearly wrestling with some of these issues, but they also seemed like they clearly um, wanted to sort of do something, and uh, they seemed increasingly comfortable with the idea that they could do so, not only because there are all of these statistical measures, but because they're... Um, is focusing on defining a, a clear statement of the problem, um, and that 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 will help get to a point where they can um, actually solve at least this form of extreme gerrymandering. Does that include uh, some of the conservative justices? Like Chief Justice Roberts said that uh, we'd have to decide in every case whether the Democrats or the Republicans win, and that it would affect the integrity of the court's decision. Did you feel any of that from the conservatives' concerns? Well. Some of the conservatives were skeptical, both for legal reasons. Uh, Justice Gorsuch, in particular, had sort of an originalist view of this. Um, 
and you know other people sort of wondered about how you would sort of make these measures work and whether they were reliable. Um, but I think that the the Paul Smith, who argued the case on behalf of the Wisconsin plaintiffs, did a good job of of putting everything in in context and explaining that you know the, you know these measures are just one part of what the court would have to have to look at, um, and that um, you know they could um, devise a, a formulation that um, you know uh, would work really well. And, and Justice Breyer offered one that that um, focused on. Uh, you know whether there was single party control, and and then whether there was an asymmetry, and you could prove it through one or multiple tests. And and Paulson suggested that multiple tests might actually be useful, and then whether it was durable. Um, and you know uh, there was some back and forth about whether durability was something that the court could really sort of uh, know. But um, as one of the justices pointed out, um, I believe it was Justice Kagan, like th- this, uh, you know, this is something that already is being done. Like map drawers, when they draw these maps, are are actually trying to project how they will perform for the course of a decade. So if you can do it for evil, you can certainly do it for good um, in terms of, uh, you know, policing, gerrymandering. And then, you know, there's there's also room for um, a justification. So arguing that it's the, the um, geography of the state, the presidential patterns or the Voting Rights Act that, that causes a skew, um, you know, that... Uh, that works out to be a pretty manageable test, and it, it at the end of the day isn't really about the test. It's about sort of a clear articulation of a constitutional standard, right. and um, so, you know that that seemed to get a lot of buy-in from a lot of the justices. And um, Rich, in in about uh, forty-five seconds here, can you explain briefly how Justice Kennedy has been seen as the court's pivotal point in this? Why it was passed? Sure. It derives from the last time the court grappled with this, which is in 2004, where the court, in effect, split 4-1-4, with four justices led by Justice Scalia, the conservatives, essentially saying, "We just gerrymandering is simply not something the court can take up. The other four justices, the liberals, in effect, saying, yes, we can, although they all had different tests for it. Justice Kennedy, in the middle, sided with the conservatives in, saying, in throwing out the challenge in that case, and said, I haven't seen a standard yet, but I'm hopeful that we might. I'm particular, he focused on the First Amendment as a thing to think about, and he focused on the possibilities of new technology. All right, hold that thought, Rich. We've been talking about a gerrymandering case that has reached the Supreme Court that could have implications for the American political landscape. My guests are Richard Brafault. He's a professor at Columbia Law School. And Michael Lee, he's a senior counsel at the Brennan Center. And Michael was at the Supreme Court arguments today. Michael, you heard Rich talking about Justice Kennedy in this 2004 ruling is looking for uh, a better plan or, you know, way to do this. And the, the Democrats here were ready to give him that plan. But I understand he didn't ask any direct questions about it. Right. He, he um, most of his questions were aimed at Wisconsin and, and the state of Wisconsin's lawyers, the, the two sets who argued today. Um, and he had a lot of tough questions for them. Um, so it's a little bit hard to sort of read where exactly he is, um, although, you know, you know what uh, the plaintiffs offered in the way of a test was built upon things that uh, Justice Kinney said both in 2004 and then a, in a later 2006 case. And so um, perhaps that's a signal that he's um, comfortable with what they, they have done um, or perhaps comfortable that Justice Kagan and all the other justices asking the question sort of really got at all of the, the things that needed to be asked. Rich, Wisconsin is is among the majority of states where the state legislature has the primary role in redistricting. 
if the Supreme Court rules in favor of the plaintiffs, will a plan? Will they have to have a plan for how this, how these redistricting maps will be done, or will they just reverse? What will happen? Well, the plaintiffs actually won below. So, if the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court could actually affirm what the three-judge court found, uh, which is that the current plan is unconstitutional. Uh, more going forward, though, um, I, one of the challenges for the court is to come up with a standard which uh, deals with Wisconsin, but doesn't necessarily expose every plan in the country to litigation. That's one of their concerns. One approach that a number of states have taken, I think you, you were hinting at that, a number of states have ad- adopted independent redistricting commissions. It's un- extremely unlikely the Supreme Court would ever mandate anything like that. It's hard, impossible to imagine. But one could imagine that, this, that if the court finds that that gerrymandering is unconstitutional, that might give a boost to efforts at the state levels uh, to create such independent districting commissions. And, Michael, you said that the justices seem very positive about possibly um, getting rid of this uh, gerrymandering. But is what kind of a step would that be? It, it, describe how momentous a step that would be if the court decides in favor of the Democrats here. Well, it it would be huge because right now the Supreme Court has never put partisan gerrymandering out of bounds in the same way that it's put racial gerrymandering out of bounds and and other sorts of discrimination. And as a result, many states have felt that they can go to town when it comes to partisanship um, as long as they can sort of justify it on the basis of politics. And and that includes in many places in the South in particular, things that are very disadvantageous to African-Americans or Latinos. And you've heard throughout this decade in the South, uh, states defend maps that are disadvantageous advantageous to minorities by saying, no, 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 we weren't trying to hurt African-Americans or Latinos. We were trying to target Democrats. And lo and behold, they just happened to be African-American and Latinos. And that's a that's a um, you know a, a opening that's still available right now, because if you fit in the politics bucket, you're out of bounds, you're in bounds. But um, if you fit in the race bucket, you're out of bounds. And the court could close that and, and um, you know, help um, uh, not only ensure political fairness, but fairness for communities of color. And Rich, As uh, Michael said, I've also been reading from other political experts who say that this could be practically revolutionary, it could change the American political scene. Do you agree with that? Uh, it's hard to. It, it would have a big impact. There are right now a significant number, a number of states which have gerrymandered congressional delegations and can gerrymandered state legislatures. Much would turn on exactly what the court says. Part of the proof that the plaintiffs in Wisconsin were able to make was that Wisconsin is really extreme, and it's a really extreme gerrymander, more than almost any plan in the country over the last 40 years. If the opinion is limited to something extreme, it's not clear how far it'll go. I mean, we, I think we, we need to see exactly what they say. But certainly, as Michael is suggesting, gerrymandering has been normal, has been increasing, and has gotten worse at, at, with the increased use of computerization to develop plans. If, if, if the court doesn't act on this, I think we're going to see even more extreme gerrymandering going forward. Michael, did the justices ask questions about the sophisticated technology that now allows digital precision in devising these voting maps? They did, and then Paul Smith uh, really was almost apocalyptic in, in talking about what the cycle would look like um, in 2021 when the maps are next redrawn um, based on all of the sophisticated technology, and he pointed to one of the briefs that was filed by a number of political scientists, which does a good job of laying that out. Uh, but the justices also, um, on the plus side, they also seem to think that t- 
technology could help solve this problem and make this manageable. You know, they, they struggled to, to think that they could manage this problem and not have to get into everything. But now you can draw thousands of, or millions even, of computer simulated maps and, and test out uh, the actual maps against those and, and you know, decide whether they're likely to be random or not. So technology is both, um, you know, a, really, a real danger, but perhaps something that makes us much more uh, comfortable for the court to feel like they can get involved and not have to make lots of complicated decisions about where lines go. We have about 30 seconds left, Michael, and since you were there, I'm going to ask you, uh, in your opinion, after hearing the arguments, do you believe that uh, the court is going to um, rule in favor of the Democrats here? Well, you know, I, I've always, I, I famously misguessed the court on, on any number of occasions, so I don't want to sort of like hazard, I guess, I, you know, the case that was presented by uh, the Wisconsin plaintiffs challenging the maps, it was really strong. And All right, well I'll have to, we'll the, have to and, leave it there. Yep. Thank you both. That's Michael Lee, senior counsel at the Brennan Center, and Richard Brafal, professor at Columbia Law School. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.